So thank you all for coming out today. Today we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, but before we get to there, I have some questions. First question, how many of us here have ever been on a cruise? How many of you would like to go on a cruise or are planning on going on a cruise? So I've seen most of your hands go up. My question, my third question is, have you been reading what's been going on with cruise ships lately? <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, have you, been, have you been seeing the news, especially about Carnival cruise ships? Last year they had a cruise ship that, that went drifting off course, hit some rocks and capsized. And then earlier this year they had another cruise ship that had an engine fire and then was drifting along the Caribbean for about five days. Now, that wouldn't sound too bad if it weren't for the fact that it lost power, which meant no cooked food, no air conditioning, and oh, by the way, no showers or toilets. And so, as the decks below filled up with raw sewage, everyone moved their way up to the top deck and lived in makeshift tents for the time until they... Really exciting stuff. I hope you guys who are going on those cruises have a great time, all right? <laughs> have a great time. Uh, amazingly, after, after this cruise ship, the cruise ship Triumph, was towed to port, about a week ago, it broke free from its moorings as it was being repaired, drifted down the river, and crashed into another ship, tearing a huge hole in the hull. Drifting is a big deal with ships, right? You drift off course, bad things happen. And today, I want to talk about what happens when we start drifting in our lives spiritually. So if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. And as you turn there, let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word this weekend. Father, I just pray that you would fill me with your spirit and that my words would be your words. And Lord, I pray that everyone sitting here today would just be pricked and pierced exactly where they need to be, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, before we dive into the passage, it's important that we dive into the background. We need to understand the background and context of what the author of Hebrews is saying. And so, as we look at the background of this passage, we we recognize first that this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, was written to a group of Jewish believers. And these Jewish believers had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, yet some of them began to drift away. And they started to go back to their old religious habits, magnifying their works and forgetting about the grace of God. And having made professions of faith, 
many of the readers of this letter had undergone persecution and difficult trials and, and some of them were starting to turn their backs on God and go away. So the writer is exhorting these people to hold fast to the confession of faith that they've made, that they would remain committed to Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, the author says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. The letter to Hebrews is a call for a deep commitment to Jesus Christ and a plea for an unwavering decision to follow him. And and it's important for us to hear this. This isn't just a message for people who claim to be Christians. This passage is applicable to any person who has simply heard the truth of the gospel at some point, whether they've accepted it, whether they're kind of maybe thinking about accepting it, or whether they've just rejected it outright up to this point in their life. This is a message that is fresh for all of us. The writer is calling every one of us to cease from drifting from the truth wherever we may be along that continuum. This is why he begins this passage with the word, therefore. Obviously, the word, therefore, is pointing back to something, and is pointing back, in this case, to chapter 1, where the writer of Hebrews spends an entire chapter talking about how great and awesome and powerful Jesus Christ is. Amen? In chapter 1, he tells us that Jesus Christ is the creator, he's the sustainer, the redeemer, he is the everlasting king. He's greater than all the angels and all the prophets, and his dominion will last forever. And oh, by the way, according to our Father in heaven, Jesus Christ is God. That is what the author of Hebrews says in the first chapter, and he says, because of all that stuff, listen, listen up. Jesus Christ gave us truth, and we better hear it and listen to it, lest we drift away. So, what does it mean to drift away? What does it mean to drift? I'd I'd like to illustrate that by telling you a little story of something that happened to me this week, this, this Tuesday. God always does these things to me the week that I preach. Uh, He wants to give me illustrations, apparently. So on Tuesday of this week, Adriano Ferris, who typically attends here on Saturday night, was having a bone marrow biopsy, painful procedure, and he asked me to go along with him for some moral support. He has leukemia, and he needs to get the levels checked every couple of months. So this was his third such procedure, and, and he was going to get those levels checked. And so I thought, yeah, I'll go along for some moral support, I'll pray with him, and, and I'll drive him home because afterwards it's painful, he can't drive. So we get to the hospital, and we're sitting in the waiting room, and I pray with him, and I pray, Lord, just, just be with Adriano, take his mind off of the pain, and, and help him to get through this and heal quickly. So Adriano gets up, and he starts walking to go to the procedure, And he turns around and he says, hey, you know what, Matthew? Why don't you come on into the procedure room with me? 
you can, you can be in there and sit there and you can, like, hold my hand or something. So, yeah, sure, I can do that. Now, I neglected to let Adriana know that I have, I have a little thing for pointy objects going into people's bodies. And I thought, well, you know what, it's a little needle and I've, I've been through four deliveries and I've seen this type, I'll be okay, Right? So we get in there, and, and I sit down in my nice little chair, and Adriano's laying on his stomach, and the doctor's preparing, and he says, hey, you know what? I've never actually seen what they do when they do this procedure. Matthew, wh- why don't you take my phone and record it for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, sure, I can do that. My voice got a little lower. So I take the phone, and, and I'm, I have it, and I'm standing there, and I'm recording it, and, and the doctor's cleaning him up, and then he takes out this, this little needle, and it's like three inches or so. I'm like, ooh, it's a pretty big needle. Okay, yeah, okay, it's going in there. All right, we're all done. Nice. But uh, we weren't all done. That was just to numb his back. <laughs> then he brings out the bigger needle. And he puts the bigger needle in the same spot to numb the bone, where the bone marrow needs to be drawn from. And, and the phone's starting to get a little heavier. Starting to get a little heavier. And, and so he numbs up the bone in his back, and then he takes out this knife. And he starts puncturing Adriano's back. And I'm just kind of sitting there, standing there, imagining this thing going into my back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then all of a sudden the phone is starting to get pretty heavy now. It's like, I'm like, hmm. And then he takes out this thing. Now, I can only describe it. It's like a cross between a gasoline funnel and an ice pick. And he goes over to Adriano, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't see any ice around here, where's the door? And he starts going to town on Adriano's back, and it's about this time that the nurse who's in the room says, are, are you okay, sir? And Adriano's like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm doing fine. He's like, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> And, and, but I didn't really hear her because at that point my, my hearing was, it was like I was in a tunnel. And, and then, and then my body kind of was getting real tingly. <laughs> and, and the phone just kind of wanted, it, it wanted to go to sleep and I just wanted to go to sleep with it. And so I thought, you know what? Now's a good time to take a nap. <laughs> and so the phone and I just kind of, we just kind of, drifted into the wall and, and, and I hit the wall and the nurse comes running over to me and catches me and um, by the way the phone is recording this whole thing <laughs> right so you see the nurse like run over to me and grab me and I'm like <laughs> and she puts me on the floor and then Adriana was going what what's going on what? Matthew are you okay Matthew Ma- so clearly God answered my prayer to get his mind off of the pain right so so I'm there and then Adriano's yelling at me and the doctor's like what's is he is he breathing and the nurse says I don't think he's breathing and Adriano's like I think I killed him oh and so then the other nurses run in and they call 911 and they're starting to like like slap me in the face and 
and Adriano's. And so I kind of come to him, like, what happened? And there, it's like, you passed out. I was like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And then I passed out again. <laughs> oh. Eventually I came to again, and I was sitting there, and Adriano was just like, He's got this concerned look on his face. He's hanging halfway off of the operation table. The doctor, by the way, never skipped a beat. He just went right along, got the bone marrow out of there. And Adrian's like, that was the best bone marrow biopsy I ever had. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting on the floor thinking, man, I am such a wuss. So I just want to get this out of the way right now. Here's my man card. All right. <laughs> All right, you can. I know it wasn't a very manly man card to begin with, but but you have it. It's yours. <laughs> so so I'm thinking, wow! I just I just I didn't even see it coming. I just drifted into passing out, and that, my friends, is exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Drifting is a gradual fading away, a passing away into nothingness. In the Greek, it literally means to slide by and escape, to pass away from something. And figuratively, it was used to describe a boat, a cruise ship perhaps, that had broken free and was drifting along the currents of the ocean. It was also used to describe water that was leaking from a jar. Or a ring that had fallen off of someone's finger and then didn't realize it until it was too late. It was gone. Drifting refers to a slow, gentle, almost passive movement. Barely perceptible until it's too late. Until you go searching for it and realize that it's not there anymore. And it's only used here in the New Testament. This is the only place that it's used in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the ancient Hebrew scholars who translated the Hebrew into Greek, the Septuagint, used it one time in Proverbs chapter 3 when they said, my son... Do not lose sight. There it is. That was the same Greek word. Do not lose sight of these. Don't drift away from these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Solomon wanted to make sure that his readers didn't drift away from the truth, the wisdom that his words contained. So you see, the idea here isn't simply about forgetting something but of passively moving away, slowly, slowly away until it's out of your grasp, until you no longer pay attention to it. It's just drifted along. And we need to realize that drifting is always away from something. It's never toward something. You always drift away. John MacArthur observed, One cannot help wondering how many thousands of people in hell were close to salvation. 
How many thousands were close to being safely moored and anchored, only to drift away forever by their failure to receive what they heard, and in many cases, actually believed. Drifting is quiet, so easy, but so damning. All you need to do is do nothing. And C.S. Lewis put it this way, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? As MacArthur and Lewis can attest, drifting, spiritually passing out, is, is an insidious and deadly trap that any of us can fall into. Simply by neglecting our walk with God. Or the truth that we've heard and are now choosing not to follow. Because you can neglect the truth just as easily when you've made a profession of faith as when you haven't made a profession of faith. Remember, the author of Hebrews is writing to who? To Christians who were fading, who were passing out. And they were in great danger of falling away from God because of their neglect. So the writer here is warning us not to drift away from Jesus Christ and the things he has taught us. But if, but if you're like me, you're probably asking yourself, okay, don't drift. Yep, got it. He's repeated that a couple times. But what causes us to drift? What causes us to drift? Well, let's read a couple of verses here. Verses 2 and 3, the author tells us, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The answer to how do we drift is neglect. We neglect what we've learned about Christ and the things he taught us. And neglect here... In the Greek, it simply means careless inaction or, or acting without thought. When we approach our faith carelessly or give it little to no thought, we're neglecting the great gift that we've been given that has been presented to us and we begin to drift from it. I once read about a farmer who died. This farmer apparently was a rather wicked man because in his will, he left his estate, his farm, to Satan. An interesting will, an interesting thing to say. And so the court got this will, the probate court, and they were trying to figure out, what do we do to this farm? How do we give it to the devil? And I want you to hear what the judge ruled in that case. The best way to carry out the wishes of the deceased is to allow the farm to grow weeds, the soil to erode, and the house and barn to rot. In our opinion, the best way to leave something to the devil is to do nothing and neglect it. Some pretty interesting wisdom from the judge, huh? 
Proverbs 17 puts it this way, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. If we neglect our charge as believers in Jesus Christ, our lives are going to drift into disrepair and ruin. That's just what happens. And oh, by the way, when we do that, we are aiding the enemy. Did you hear what that says in Proverbs? That we are a brother to the enemy, to him who destroys. You ever think of it that way? So what causes us to neglect our faith? What causes us to start to spiritually pass out? How do we know if we're drifting? F.B. Meyer says, you can easily tell. Are you conscious of effort, of daily, hourly resistance to the stream around you and within? Do the things of God and heaven loom more clearly in your vision? Do the waters foam angrily at your prow as you force your way through them? If so, rejoice. If not... You are drifting. So, so what are some of the traps that we can fall into? What are some of the things that cause us to neglect God? Well, for some of us, it's apathy. We're apathetic. We just don't really care. I mean, yeah, we know all the right answers, and, and I can give all the Christian response, but... It doesn't change the way I live. I don't, really, I don't really care enough about it. We're apathetic. And we don't care enough to live it out. Apathy causes neglect. For some of us, we're not necessarily apathetic. We're just too accustomed and familiar to things that we hear for them to sink in. Yeah, you know, I heard that verse a that verse hundred times before. Well, when's a preacher going to give me something new? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We grow accustomed to things and the power that it has to move us to action ceases because we're not really paying attention. We can neglect our faith because we're too active. We're just too active. You, you guys know what I mean here, right? I mean, look at our society, our culture. It's, it's just activity all the time. Busy, 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 busy. I, I, I can't wait. No attention. Boo, let's move on. Okay, I got to get to this appointment. Oh, I got to get to that appointment. And again, I got to get home. And I got to make dinner. And then, and then I got to take the kids to this practice. And, and, and I, maybe at the end of the day, I'll, I'll pray. Isn't it ironic that our overactivity causes us to be underactive with the most important thing? In our life? Sometimes we assume everything is okay just because, you know what? I, I, I prayed that prayer one time when I was like eight. And, and I, I go to church most weekends, so I'm good. I live a good life. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get what's coming to me. Yes, you will. 
We assume we're okay, and we live presumptuously. Remember, last week, Pastor Tim talked about the Old Testament Hebrews who lived presumptuous lives. They expected that just because they were Jews, that they would be children of God and get their way into heaven. We can't assume anything. We need to work out our salvation as the Lord God works through us and in us for His pleasure and glory. Amen? And finally, the surest way to neglect God is for us to think that we don't need Him. And and if I can say this as gently as I can, that is just an attitude of arrogance. Arrogance causes us to neglect God. What do I need God for? I got, I got a nice home, a good job, my kids are good, you got lots of money in the bank. What do I need God? Humility is perhaps the characteristic that, the, that our Lord is looking for the most. Humble and contrite spirit, people who tremble before him. Arrogance will cause us to neglect God. The list, of course, can go on and on. And anything that causes us to neglect our relationship with God, anything that causes us to drift away, is serious. Serious stuff. Because if we continue to neglect, if we continue to drift and travel down that path, and we ignore the Lord's grace and mercy and continually coming after us saying, hey, hey, come on back. You're you're drifting. You're you're getting away. There's going to be grave consequences. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer, of course, is there is no escape. If we hear the truth and neglect it, and we drift away from it, if, if we spiritually pass out, we're going to bear eternal consequences. As Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, because you're lukewarm, because you've become useless to me through your neglect, you're neither hot nor cold, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You've neglected me. You've drifted away. You have no relationship. And if we continue on drifting away from Jesus, the end result is always shipwreck. Always shipwreck. Just like those cruise ships we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, we will end up on the rocks. Because God's only plan for salvation is Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no plan B. And that's what the Bible says. That's what Scripture says. These aren't my words. This this great salvation that we have through Jesus Christ alone is so great because it's freely available to any one of us. And not only is it freely available, but it is sufficient for every one of our sins, past, present, and future, it will wash us clean. 
It is so great because of the high price that had to be paid, the life of God himself. And it is so great because the reward, eternity in heaven with God, is the greatest thing there ever can be. Friends, if you're here today and you're drifting from God, I implore you to turn back and anchor yourself to him. Because thankfully, he is a God of second chances. Amen. And he will always give you the grace and mercy to re-anchor yourself to his truth. Thankfully, the writer of Hebrews gives us this good news. He doesn't just leave it at that. He tells us exactly how we can be sure not to neglect such a great salvation. Or if we're currently neglecting it, how we can stop. He says in verse 1, Pay much closer attention to what you have heard. Wake up, people. Pay attention. And in the Greek, this literally means to attach yourself to something. To attach yourself to it as if you were anchoring yourself to it. Just like a ship in a harbor. Figuratively, it means to devote and apply all of your mind, all of your focus, all of your attention on a thing. And it was, in this sense, it was used to refer to someone who was addicted to something or had an obsession with something. It was also used to refer to a watchman who stood vigilantly scanning the horizon, looking for the enemy. And we have to see here that this isn't merely a suggestion. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. If we dig into the Greek here, we find that this command is something that we ourselves need to intentionally and personally do on a continual daily basis. This isn't something we do just just one time and then forget about it. It's a constant, intentional focus to focus on what we have heard about and from Jesus Christ. So some of you may be asking, well, okay, got that, yeah, focus, pay attention. What does that mean practically? Give me, give me something practical here. Well, well, how about this? How about making time every day, intentionally every day, a substantial amount of time to spend with God? Well, I'm busy. Well, no kidding. Make yourself unbusy. Find the time. By the way, I'm speaking to myself here. (laughs) All right? Find the time. Lord, help me to find the time. Why don't we turn off the television and the computer and the cell phone and the video games and spend time reading the Word of God? Why don't we stop wallowing in self-pity? And stop worrying about what the future is going to hold. And spend some time in prayer with our Heavenly Father. Who will take care of our every need. 
why don't we get home from work at a decent hour and spend time with our family and with fellow believers who can help keep us anchored? Just ask the Holy Spirit right now. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to show you what it is that you're doing or maybe not doing that's causing you to drift away from God. Just ask him. He'll tell you. This isn't, he's not trying to hide the ball here. Right? If we apply this truth, if we anchor ourselves to the truth of Scripture and have a laser-like focus on the teaching that the Word of God contains, we will not drift. We will stay spiritually conscious. We won't pass out. We'll stay alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? Of course, the author doesn't expect us to do this on our own. I mean, look at the the pronoun that's used throughout this passage. What is it? We. We. We need to focus on the Lord together. This isn't a voyage that any of us can accomplish on our own. In chapter 10, the author says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have to hold each other accountable, encourage and exhorting one another to stay the course to hold fast to the word of God, lest we drift away. When when my body, when my my flesh began to take control of me, and I started to, to pass out, I couldn't catch myself, could I? Without that nurse running over and catching me, I'd have slammed into the floor. And after I passed out, I couldn't wake myself up, could I? Adriano had to scream a little bit and slap me in the face. And the nurses had to come over and rub my chest and do whatever it is they needed to do to to wake me up. I needed other people to help wake me up. But that means, of course, that the strategy of the enemy is to isolate us. To keep us... I don't really like those people. Those Christian people. They're just, you know, they're not really my type. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I follow. I follow him, but... They're kind of dorky. Right? I mean, the enemy wants us to make up any excuse we can think of to isolate ourselves and seclude ourselves because that's when he is going to pick you off. It's as simple as that. He knows what he's doing. He's not dumb. We are. <laughs> We're sheep, right? But we need to stay in the flock together, focused on the good shepherd. Robert Robinson was born in the mid-1700s. He was born in England, and 
for the first half of his life, he, he lived a pretty reckless lifestyle. He was basically just doing whatever he wanted. And then he went to a revival tent meeting put on by George Whitfield, one of the famous revivalist preachers at that time, and, and he was saved. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, he was so profoundly moved by the words of Whitfield that day that he enrolled in seminary, became a preacher, and had a congregation of his own. And during that time, he started to write all kinds of hymns about God's grace and his streams of mercy and our propensity to wander from God. His most famous hymn is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You can see the words behind me. But an interesting thing happened to Robinson. As he continued on in his ministry, he slowly stopped hanging out with the men and women who were encouraging him and holding him accountable. He began to isolate and seclude himself till one day he gave up being a pastor. He drifted away from his faith and he said, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I'm going back to the way I used to live. That's more fun. Several years later, Robinson was in a carriage ride through the country, returning home from one of his little jaunts. And he was sitting next to a young lady who was reading a poetry book. And out of the blue, she turned to him and she said, Excuse me, sir, what do you think of this this poem that I've been reading? And as she started to read to him, his eyes filled up with tears as he recognized that it was his hymn that he had written all those years ago. And, and through his sobs, he explained to her that he had wandered, that he had strayed. And she reassured him that God's streams of mercy are still flowing They are never ceasing, Mr. Robinson. And if you would just repent and turn back to God, he is waiting for you with open arms. And together, both of them crying, they prayed, and Robinson was restored to Jesus Christ. And the first thing he did when he got back home was to go and find those old friends who held him accountable And who could encourage him and exhort him to hold fast to his confession. Friends, are you drifting? Are you diligently anchoring yourself to the truth that you have heard? Do you have people around you to hold you accountable? And to encourage you and exhort you? so that you don't spiritually pass out. Maybe maybe there's a specific area of your life where you're drifting. Areas where the anchor has been loosed and you're aimlessly just doing nothing. You're neglecting your faith and you're slowly fading from God. 
Friends, if that's you today, can I invite you to stop? Can I invite you to recognize it and put an end to it? Because it's within your power to do so. Start paying attention. Anchor yourself. Fix yourself to the word. Don't allow yourself to continue to drift. It's your choice. It's your decision. No one else's. You choose whether you stay anchored or whether you spiritually pass out. Because if we don't focus on the truth, Satan's going to get us, right? He's going to cause us to be distracted, to unhinge ourselves from the harbor and start drifting away. Because we can think we're having a great time on this cruise ship. This cruise ship is awesome. I mean, I can indulge myself in every way that I want. But that cruise ship always ends on the rocks. In a shipwreck. Hold fast to what you have heard. Anchor yourselves to Jesus Christ and the truth that he has taught us. And you will remain safely docked. Bring people around you to encourage you and hold you up. And you will stay spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, we, we need to look into our own hearts.